All right, let's uh, pray in preparation for the uh, message this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with me. Uh, help me to unpack your gospel, Lord. Help me to um, be faithful to the scriptures. Um, help me to uh, just just be faithful to you as I as I preach the word. And I pray that you would be with the folks who are here today. Pray that the um, message would touch their hearts, that it would find uh, good soil that you would water with your spirit. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So I am actually going to start with a story I've used before, I think. Um, but I, I, I uh, so those of y'all who've been here long enough, it's, it's, it's not a repeat. Um, when I was in college, I had a, uh, a really awful car. I had several really awful cars. Um, but this one wasn't by far the worst of the really awful cars. Um, it was a uh, Buick LeSabre. I paid about, I think I paid $500 for it, you know, to, to give you some scaling here. And uh, I was one of the only guys in my dorm building who had a, who had a car. And, and um, that, that, as a result, made me fairly popular with the ladies. Um, it wasn't a cool car, but it didn't have to be. Um, so, so one day I'm watching uh, football with my roommate, and um, this gal came in who, who asked me for a ride to the grocery store. And she was a gal that I was trying to date at the time, and so, you know, I jumped on the opportunity, and I, I took her to the grocery store. And, and I remember, like, she, she bought peanut butter Captain Crunch, but, but as we're walking out, all of these people we ran into on the way, like, you know, her roommate was waiting in the hallway. And I thought, well, wait a minute. They didn't both come in. I wonder if I just got manipulated. And, and then <laughs> on the way out, you know, we ran into a couple more gals who lived in her suite. And all of a sudden, I got a carload of girls that I'm taking to the grocery store and, and feeling somewhat sheepish that I'd been, you know, manipulated. But it, it was all right. We, we went in and we came out and I went to start the car and, and it rolled over and it rolled over and it rolled over and it didn't start. Um, which was a problem with that car. Um, and, and so I, I saw this as an opportunity to look cool in front of this gal. And I, I said, oh, hold on. Slide up behind the wheel. I'm going to get it started. I popped the hood open. I went and got my toolbox out of the trunk and, and, and looked really cool for about 30 seconds until I couldn't get it started. Um, and then about 15 minutes later, I looked decidedly less cool. Um, and about an hour later, when, when some folks we knew came by and the girls left me in the parking lot with the ride home that they, they found, and I was still out there working on this dumb car, um, I, I was getting angry. And then the grocery store closed and the sun went down and, and it started raining. And I'm, I'm sitting behind the wheel of this car with the, with the book, you know, the, the Haynes manual, trying to figure out what I'm getting wrong and Nothing is making sense, and I am frustrated. I'll get out, and I remember I actually, I got so angry, I um, grabbed the key, and I turned it. And it's just pouring rain. I'm right underneath the streetlight, and I just turned the key until the battery died because I was so, you ever do something dumb when you get mad? Um, I, it's probably just young me, not. <laughs> um, and and so, so now the battery's dead, and I am truly stuck. Uh, because you can't, I mean, you could fix something, but you can't get a car started without a battery. Um, and, and so I, I got, I just looking and I'm mad and I, I found my change to call a tow truck cause I actually had AAA at the time. It didn't even make sense that I put this much effort in and I, I punched the dashboard. I was so mad and I like those old seventies cars, like with the, the vinyl dashboard that was dried out, it kind of like shattered like in spider webbed and. 
And I felt really dumb, and I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just I'm gonna call the tow truck and leave. That's it. I'm done. And I, as I'm about to get out of the car, I thought, you know, I haven't even prayed about this. And I thought, well, I don't want to pray about this. And it actually made me mad to think it. And I, I said, all right, well, and I didn't close my eyes or anything. I'm sitting there. I said, all right, God, I cannot get this car started. If you can help me out now, I would really like to not tow it home or something to that effect. And before I'm done saying it, this little Toyota, and remember it was a little rusty Toyota, comes tearing out of the corner of the parking lot where there was a bar. And, and these guys, they slid up to my car. They were going much faster than was reasonable for a parking lot. And these three guys get out of this car and don't say a word to me. They're under the hood of the car. And they've got toolboxes and everything. And they're, you know, and I, I got out and it's raining. I mean, I'm not even kidding. It's pouring. Um, and I, I tried talking to them. Like, Who are you guys? Oh, don't worry. We're, we're you know, we're, we know what we're doing. We'll fix this and get you on your way. And I, well, I tried that. No, shut up. You don't know it. And to be fair, I'm not swearing as much as they were because these guys had come from the bar. They were falling down drunk. They were cussing up a storm. Um, and and they, were, they were fixing my car, but they wouldn't talk to me. It was the weirdest thing. And they figured out my batteries and they went to jumpstart it and it was sparking because everything is soaking wet by this point. And they, they go to jumpstart me and the guy who was driving, I, I kind of grabbed his shoulder and I said, dude, who are you guys? What are you doing? He looks at me and says, oh, we're from God. And he jump-started me and sent me home. And, and it, it's one of those moments, it's not even, I don't know, I, I could tell a lot of stories like that where God has answered prayers. Um, but the reason I'm sharing that one is I, I got home and there are all these people hanging out and apparently discussing when I was going to give up and walk home. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why they had no faith in me. And, and um, I, I, I tell this story. I'm soaking wet, and I tell this story. And I was wow, that's amazing. And my roommate at the time was a pre-seminary, right? He, he actually is a minister in Michigan now. Um, and, and he got all mad about it and kind of stomped off. And I thought, well, that was weird. And, and we talked about it a few days later. He was mad at me for, for about a week. And, and one day we sat down to talk about it, and he said, you know what? I don't understand it. Eric, I, I go to chapel every week. I get up early, I do devotions, I pray, I read my Bible. I don't think I remember the last time I saw you read your Bible. And I know I've never seen you in chapel, and I know you kind of phone in a lot of stuff. Like, like I'm sure you believe in God and all that, but like, why doesn't God answer prayer like that for me? What's with you? And I thought about it for about a month. I mean, I really, this kind of threw me. I thought, well, why doesn't God answer prayer all the time? And I went back and forth, and what I came up with in the end was, um, and actually he had this, crazy moment where he was praying and like like he had this encounter with God that was very quiet and very amazing and and I realized after the fact that like I'm part of the remedial class <laughs> I I I'm I'm probably too dumb to figure things out if they're not big does that make sense um, and I'm starting with that because that's this section of Samson's story is the story of the remedial class got it like and it's easy to miss it but that's what's going on here um, we're, we're in the book of Judges. We're working our way through the book of Judges. And Samson is the last proper judge. Um, Samson is also the best, right? He is the strongest. He's probably handsome. He is, he is dashing. He's actually poetic. He writes poems as he kills people. You know, he is, he is an action hero of action heroes. Um, and, and he's also the worst judge, right? So he's the guy with the most potential, but he's awful, because he basically breaks all of the rules. He's, he's 
marries the daughters of his enemies. He, I mean, you start going through it like and really reading it from a Jewish person's eye. It's uh, Samson's awful. Like he is awful, awful. He is the bottom rung, but he is a reflection of the culture he comes from, like the situation he comes from. And we'll dig into that a little more. But be aware, like the story of the book of Judges is the story of the decline of Israel. And so the first Judges were amazing, and the last one is awful, right? And those of you all who have seen the other sermons in the series, this is all repeat, I'm sorry. Um, there's a poetic repetition that happens in the book. Each of the stories of the judges has certain elements that's repeated. But, like, the writer of Judges is so brilliant that every time he tells a story that has the same basic element, but he changes something every time to emphasize how awful the judges get, right? And this particular section of, of, of the story, this is most evident, and we're going to talk about it in a second, you know, when we get into it. Um, real quick, Samson is a Nazarite. His strength did not come from his long hair. That is not true. Um, it was part of a vow. He was he was um, he he followed from birth where he wasn't supposed to get drunk. He wasn't supposed to do anything unclean, and he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. Um, we've already seen him eat unclean food. We've seen him get drunk, and the only thing left in the vow he has not broken is having his hair cut. Um, and so, like, be aware. In the last section, Samson got married. He bet with the Philistines at the time that they could not solve his riddle. Um, they solved it kind of cheating. Um, and, and Samson, in order to pay his debt, murders about 30 people and steals their clothes and gives them over. But they were Philistines, right? So they were the bad guys. Um, and that's kind of Samson's deal up until this point. And then he stomps off angry. Um, this story takes place during the harvest, right? It seems appropriate. And it's a desert har- harvest. They would do what was called dry farming. Maybe some of you all are familiar with that this year especially. <laughs> um, but it, it's very similar to how things are here, honestly, and that's why I'm mentioning it. Um, so we're going to start off Judges 15, 1 to 3. Um, after some days, so Samson has stomped off home and left his wife behind. He probably did not consummate the marriage. Just, you know, it's, it's, that's probably kind of how it ended. Um, After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. Now, why did he bring a young goat, right? Because you couldn't buy a box of chocolates in that era. Got it? Samson shows up with a young goat because people didn't eat meat very often. Like, milk was kind of a rarity. A goat was like the Cadillac of gifts. I really wish John and Sarah were here this morning. I had so many jokes about that that... Anyway, so he, he shows up with a young goat, and he said, I will go into my wife in the, in the chamber, meaning I'm going to spend some quality time with my wife um, and finally consummate the marriage. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Um, Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to him, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So now, real quick, what happened here is Samson shows up to consummate the marriage to finally be properly wedded to this woman. And the dad's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You left in a huff. I married her off. Sorry. Um, And Samson's upset. The, The father's like, hey, you know, my younger daughter's more attractive. You could marry her instead, trying to even the playing field. But what we've learned about Samson so far is Samson is all about lust and desire, right? 
what he thinks is right is what he does. What he wants is what's right. What, you know, he is all about, like, his way and fulfilling his need and his desire. And so the younger sister may have been more attractive, but nobody was going to tell Samson who his wife is going to be, right? And so Samson, insulted and angry, says, I'm going to take this out on the people who are guilty, everybody who lives in the Philistine country. See the logic there? I bet you don't, because I don't. <laughs> he actually has a problem with, the, with the, the dad, maybe with the best man who ended up with his wife, but like instead he decides, I'm going to go and kill a bunch of people and ruin their lives because I'm mad at that guy. Um, real, real quick, like, like the, the bottom line here is Samson is really not a very good guy. Everybody with me? Um, but what we learned a few chapters ago is God used Samson's crumminess to accomplish his will. And the Philistines had come in, they'd conquered Israel, they were oppressing God's people, right? And they needed to be dealt with. And so he uses Samson to deal with them. And as it turns out, Samson deals with them through his sinfulness. And God just lets that happen to, like, like accomplish his goal. Everybody with me? Um, and I'm not trying to drag on Samson. I'm not saying he's the worst. Well, he's pretty bad. But, but like, be aware, this is, this is the level that the country had reached. People are just not very good. And so Samson ends it with, hey, I was wrong last time, but this time I'm going to create some problems and I'm going to be in the right. And he's still not. But it does actually show that Samson was aware that he kind of blew it the last time around. Um, so he has a conscience. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes. And we're going to hit pause here. The word foxes could mean jackals. Um, and I had to research it. Jackals are basically like foxes except they run in packs. And um, some folks say that it was probably jackals because they were easier to catch. Um, it's probably translated foxes because of, uh, well, for a bunch of different reasons. Part of it is because as weird as what he's about to do sounds, people did it in the ancient world. This wasn't even that unusual. Like, like very strange. Um, if you flash forward about three centuries or five centuries, the Romans, five, six, several centuries, the Romans would do this weird thing where before harvest they would catch a bunch of foxes and they would tie torches to their tails and they would let them loose and then they'd go out and kill them as a way of appeasing the gods that there wouldn't be mildew in their crops. And so, like, that was this ceremony they did, this pagan ceremony to appease the gods that, you know, let our crops have no mildew. Let's, you know, and so they did this. And if you trace it back, it came from the Jewish people and from that Middle Eastern part of the world. Actually, from the Middle Eastern part of the world, not the Jewish people, because it was a pagan practice. This was like a real thing people did. How bizarre is that? Of course, I wonder, like, if people think, you know, they sprayed their crops. What were they thinking um, in, you know, two millennia? Um, so <laughs> Samson catches 300 foxes and he takes torches and he turned them, he tie, he, excuse me, he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails and when the foxes had set fire to the torches he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the philistines and set fire to the stack grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchard uh, yeah olive orchards so he takes these these foxes or jackals ties their tails together ties a torch to them lights it on fire and lets them go and what we find out is the stacked grain and the standing grain now what's going on here is the Philistines would wait, you know, farmers in the Middle East, they would wait for their crops to dry. I know this is weird. They would go through, they'd cut it, and they would let it sit until it was completely dry. And then they would thresh it. 
The combines were very not advanced at that time. They didn't have wheels. They had to bring the grain to the threshing floor, and they did it in one central location. Um, but, like, imagine lots and lots of dried grain and your windrows, and all of a sudden a fox with a, with a torch on its tail goes running through it. How's that going to turn out, guys? Like, and these guys didn't cut the edges of the way, their fields the way we do, right? Like the way y'all do. I don't cut anything. Um, they, they, they didn't till the edges of their field to keep fire from spreading. There were no fence lines, none of that stuff. So when this fire went, this fire went. And it burned up the windrows, and it burned up everybody's crops, and it burned up the, uh, the olive orchards, the whole nine yards. He set a fire that wiped out the countryside, which is definitely in proportion to losing his wife, right? We're all on the same page here. Samson has said, I will have my revenge, and his revenge is basically times a thousand. Now, this is a culture where um, people didn't really store grain. They, they could store it for an amount of time, but they would starve to death if they didn't eat it. And in fact, rationing food was the norm there. And so they would figure out how much food they had, and then they would eat according to what they pulled out of the ground. And it's not like, oh, well, we'll sell it when the price is high. They didn't do that. They just ate it. So basically the whole, like, Philistine people now has nothing to eat for a year. Like, and how many of these people are married to Samson's wife? Like, one? (laughs) He is furious at these guys, but he takes revenge on everyone, and he destroys everyone. But these are people who are, like, oppressing God's people. And so what Samson has done here is, He has carried out not a deliverance because he's not delivering the Jewish people at all at this point. He's carrying out a judgment. Like Samson is the instrument of God's judgment. But Samson's kind of being a jerk. But God allows Samson's jerkiness, his horribleness, to fulfill his intent. And his intent is basically to drive the Philistines away. And, well, we'll get to that later. Um, So here we are. Big fire. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And so the Philistines gather around and they say, hey, wait a minute. Why did he burn down our country? Oh, because of that guy? And that guy? Really? What does it have to do with us? And they're right. Um, in re- well, anyway. Um, so, and the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Um, so they came and they got them and set them on fire. That was their revenge, Right. You burn our crops, we'll burn your family. Um, Now, kind of an interesting little thing. This is a thing that was threatened against them um, during the wedding when the the riddle, the exchange of riddles, that's how they found out the answer to Samson's riddle. Um, So they, they set them on fire. They basically followed through on their threat from earlier. And the Philistines came and burned them up with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit, meaning I am going to get my revenge and then I'm done. Um, by the way, one more time. Anybody ever said that? Like, this happens in revenge. Like, once I've gotten even, I'll be done. Once I've done this, then I'm done, but then the other person does something and you've got to keep going back and forth, right? Or... I remember when I years ago I quit smoking and I, I sometimes I would quit as I lit my last cigarette. This is the last one. Yeah, amazingly, that didn't work. <laughs> like the way that sin works, there is no one last time, right? 
One last time is not the last time. If you say, I will do this sin one last time and then I'm done, in reality, sin is controlling you and teaching you to lie to yourself. And you are just going to continue. So I'll get revenge one more time. Nope. I will look at these pictures one last time. I will, you know, steal one last time. I will just to pay this bill. There's no one last time. But that's what he says. Um, And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. Now, this is a weird phrase, and I spent a lot of time researching it and trying to figure it out. Um, it's not clear what the meaning is. It seems to be associated with wrestling, right? And basically, like, the idea is to emphasize his, like, severe attack, like how vicious he was. Um, you might say he tore them limb from limb, or he tied them into knots. But in short, the guys who showed up and burned his wife and or his sort of wife and her father, he tore them to pieces and killed them all. Um, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Now, so what Samson has done is he kills these guys. So like we've gone from married off to fire to a different fire to murdering a large crowd of guys in revenge or like taking his revenge and then going into hiding. Why did he do that? He may have done it because he was concerned that these guys were going to come and kill a bunch of Jewish people, right? Like Samson's maybe not quite as bad as all that. He goes into hiding, um, does not go home, um, probably to protect the folks around him, maybe for other reasons it doesn't really say. So he goes out and he hides in a cave. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. Lehi means um, donkey. Just a little bit of foreshadowing. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you know, what the, that the, do you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? And then is this, excuse me, is this that you have done to us? Then, excuse me, what then is this that you have done to us? I can read. I really can't. And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Meaning, I'm right because they did it first. They started it. My kids say that. Um, Real quick, every other judge, what we see is where they become oppressed. The enemy army shows up and they cry out to God and God sends a deliverer. In this case, the enemy army shows up, they cry out to the enemy army, and then they go to kill the deliverer. Right? Because the The Jewish people are screwed up at this point. They are lost. They are blind. They are spiritually dead. Um, And actually, Samson reflects that when he said, hey, I just got revenge. I was right. Samson has adopted a pagan ethic. Um, He is doing things based on the motives of the people that he's associated with. The Jewish people identify more with the Philistines. Samson wanted to marry into the Philistines, and now he's just fighting with them because of his own selfish desires. Everybody is soaking in sin at this point. Nobody's trying to do the right thing. Um, But God is still figuring out how to accomplish his will through these people. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. By the way, he's not sure if they're going to kill him. Right? (laughs) Like, this is not a good sign about his own people. These are not like people who are, you know, passionate about doing God's will or that he necessarily trusts all that much. Um, 
doesn't say much about him or them. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give, them in, give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. By the way, two new ropes, um, rope is expensive, and new rope is stronger. So they picked out the best rope they could find and tied him up with this stuff that he shouldn't be able to escape from. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him, very excited. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax uh, that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put out his hand and took it, and then he struck down a thousand men. By the way, how many Jewish people came to arrest him? Three thousand. How many soldiers were in the enemy camp? Around a thousand, right? Does something seem wrong? Like the Jewish people probably could have beaten the Philistines on their own. And instead they went after their own guy. Like it's totally backward. They're completely off in left field at this point. But Samson tears away these ropes like they're nothing. He grabs a fresh jawbone of an axe. Anybody know why that matters? Old bones get brittle. But also, he probably pulled it out of a corpse, which means he is fulfilling God's will by violating his agreement with God to not become unclean. So Samson's like, just blowing it. But he kills like a thousand guys, which is no small feat with a jawbone. Uh, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. He sings a song when he's done. Um, in fact, he writes a song and sings it. There's a great version of this I can't share with you all right now because, I'm, I'm, because it's kind of off color. Um, I came across it in a commentary. It's sort of the rough version of what actually was said. If you ask me later, I might tell you. But um, it's, it's a fairly crass thing he said. Heaps upon heaps, by the way, means not only did I kill a bunch of them, I killed a whole bunch of them, right? Um, so just a little thing, and so like with the jawbone of a donkey, by the way, Lehi means donkey, right? And, and, and so like he uses the jawbone of a donkey to kill these guys. Um, there's a parallel here. Deborah, who's one of the best judges, sang a song about a victory that she fought, right? And that song talks about how God handed them over this victory and talks about how God delivered them and all this graciousness of God. When does Samson mention God in this? Not at all. He does mention his God because he talks about what he did. Because Samson matters to Samson, right? So Samson wins this victory and sings a song about it. And as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. And that place was called Remeth Lehi, meaning jawbone of a donkey. A little bit of a funny thing. The Jewish people would have found that funny. Um, And he was very thirsty. I'm guessing, by the way, this is the desert, right? Like here now, if you went out and killed a thousand guys, don't test this. Like you fought for maybe three hours and it's hot out and everything else, you would probably be tired, right? And Samson is tired at this point. He was very thirsty and he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Um, And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. We're going to hit pause there. Samson prays. This is the instance so far where Samson has prayed, right? Like he's done all this delivering. He's done all these things on God's behalf. He hasn't even acknowledged God up until this point. Like he hasn't even mentioned him. Samson is all about Samson, but now he finally acknowledges God. I think this is intentional because I think this is basically the whole reason Samson makes it into 
like Hebrews 11, we see him sort of in the hall of fame of like heroes of the faith. I think this is like his claim to it, right? He acknowledges that he's God's servant, um, and he says, you've given this great salvation into your, into your servant's hands. By the way, really quick, he still emphasizes his own work, right? And then he dares God saying, so now are you going to let me die a thirst? <laughs> now are you going to let me fall into the hands of the enemy? Um, so he, he praises God, and then he dares God because Samson is just not that good. And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came up out of it, and he drank. And his spirit returned, and he was revived. Therefore, he, the name of it was called en Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day. By the way, the word there, the Hebrew word means um, God's servant draws water out of the rock or something like that. Like He basically names it after himself um, because Samson is... All about Samson, right? Even when he almost acknowledges God properly, Samson's all about Samson. Like, he's just crummy. Um, And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. And so it ends with this statement that Samson has, like, 20 years worth of, like, being a judge. He is in charge of the country. He takes care of the people for 20 years. And I think this is most of what he did during that time. Um, These are the big events. um, And that's it. Now, what do we do with this? Because this is one of those stories you read it, and it's like, man, what do I even do with this? I, I want to kind of draw a couple of things out. First off, um, Samson is crummy, but he's a product of his generation. You all with me? Like, Samson reflects the people that he lives amongst. And I think God begins to change him in little bits and pieces. But for the most part, Samson is crummy because he lives in a crummy culture, and he reflects it, right? What does that mean for us? For us, we have to stop every once in a while and look and say, am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I following Jesus the way I'm supposed to follow Jesus? Or am I doing things the way I want? Right? Because it's easy to get those two confused. One of the most popular styles of preaching right now is, is basically a heresy called um, um, prosperity gospel. Right? And you every major preacher, not every major preacher, but like most of the major preachers do it. This is Joel Osteen. This is T.D. Jakes. This is all these guys. And what they're saying is, if you follow Jesus, he'll make you rich. And some of those guys will even come back and say, Jesus himself was rich. But it's not true. Right? But like that is a product of a culture that worries way too much about money. That worries way too much about comfort that worries way too much about image, that worries way too much about all of these things that have nothing to do with following Jesus. And Samson is not really all that different. And honestly, it's easy to fall into that, where we think money is what makes God bless us, or large numbers is what makes God bless us. Like, these are all signs of God's blessing. Or, you know what, if I want it, I should have it. Anybody ever think that way? I do. I'm going to own that right away. But, like, these are reflections of a culture we live in. Or, you are my enemy, so it's okay for us to kill you. I mean, that's kind of a hard one, right? Because that's basically how Samson lives. But there's often the attitude of, well, this guy crossed me, I can get revenge. Except that's really the opposite of what Jesus taught. Um, at the end of the day, Samson is crummy because the people around him are crummy. The church is called to step out of that culture, to be set apart and to be different. And that means we have to back up and look at our assumptions and say, am I like them? Are we emulating the culture or are we emulating Christ? That's hard. 
Um, we have to strip out sort of this brokenness that's in us, that's naturally in us, um, and, and walk with Christ correctly. And there are actually good examples of this. I was talking with uh, Michael about an author we both like and how like he, he sort of reflects our culture but walks with Jesus in a really good way. And, and a lot of other guys who are similar to him don't manage it as well because they, like, live in their culture and they walk with Jesus and then they fall into, like, the assumptions. Um, but that's hard and it takes a lot of prayer and it takes a lot of time spent with Jesus and it takes a lot of, like, reflection and intentionality. It is hard. Um, what else can we do with this? Um, I would point out God answers Samson's prayer, right? Um, Samson's awful. Like, but God picked him and God takes care of him. God's people set out to kill Samson instead of helping him, right? So his people are off in left field. And God takes care of his people anyway. Because we serve a God who is amazing, right? We serve a God who stands by his covenants, stands by his word, who stands by his people even when they're blowing it. Right? So you personally, no matter how bad you screw up, God isn't going to stop loving you. Man. I'm going to tell you, for me, that's huge. Right? Um, I, I'm going to come back around to my, my lowest common denominator element, my opening illustration, which is the big thing I wanted to draw out of this. Um, it may mean that God deals with us in crayon terms. Right? Because God's people have no faith at this point, so they give him, like God gives them, the most, like, basic way of seeing him, right? Huge, big, strong guy who kills people in miracles, right? It's, it's this big, flashy show, and they can trust that, and they can believe it because it's easy. Um, but it's, like, because they have no faith, right? Like, God gives them the lowest common denominator, the easiest thing, because they can't do anything better than that at all. If God shows up silently, nothing. Jesus walks into this situation, they probably would have killed him themselves, Right. Well, that's anyway. Um, <laughs> the the point is, like, like in this instance, these are people who are not great, but God is so faithful to His people, He meets them where they're at. Right. He steps down to this lowest level and He takes care of them. He steps down to this lowest level and He deals with them and He loves them and He cares for them. Does that mean God never performs miracles? No. Does that God mean that God only performs miracles for people who are like? Awful in faith? No. In this instance, what it means is God looks at these folks who have no faith and he meets them right where they're at and he deals with them right where they're at and he walks with them right where they're at because he's faithful to his word even beyond our crumminess. Like That's good, right? In relation to us, Jesus died for you. The Son of God came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He carried your sins on his back. And no matter how bad you blow it, that salvation is still yours. Like, if you belong to Christ, you can't sin so much he stops saving you. If you belong to Christ, if you love Christ, if you follow him, you can't screw it up. Because God's grace is infinite. Can you walk away from him? I think so. That's a whole other conversation. In this instance, though, what I'm saying is, like, in Christ, God is faithful to us. And any point... As we walk with Christ, we can cry out to him and he answers us. Sometimes he says no because we don't know how to cry out to him, right? We ask for the wrong things, right? Like, but God still hears your prayer regardless of where you are because God is faithful. 
Because Christ's death for you, his atoning sacrifice, is enough, like, period. There's no messing it up. And that's awesome. Um, what is it, the phrase, he loves you exactly the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way, right? Like, I, 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 I was in the remedial class once upon a time. I probably still am. I'm now, like, in the slightly less remedial class because God has developed me spiritually. Um, some of y'all maybe can relate to this. God doesn't leave you the way you are. He helps you grow spiritually. You know, he helps you, like, develop. He helps you understand. There are things that happen when I, like, I'll pray and I'll get an answer, and I'll think, man, like, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have caught that. Because, like, God develops us and makes us deeper. He changes us. Um, because God is faithful. I'm gonna, This morning, we're going to be uh, doing communion. I'm going to call my guys forward, and I'm going to explain how this, this fits. Um, when we take the elements, when we take the bread and we take the juice, this is concrete, in-your-hands reminder that God is faithful to his promises, right? This is a concrete, in-your-hands reminder that if you blow it, if you screw up, if you fail, like God will always honor the promises he made. Um, he will always honor like your your soul, like you, he will take care of you because God loves you that much. Um, you cannot run far enough away to escape him. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed with his disciples, like as he was about to go to the cross, he took his cup and he offered, he prayed and thanked God and he offered it to his disciples. And he said, take this and drink it. This is my blood poured out for you. You know, do this as a reminder of this promise God is making you. And so as we take the cup, like remember, this is to like remember, it's to remind you that Jesus poured out his blood on your behalf. And that like Samson, you can mess it up bad, but he will always honor his promise. Let's 